Hello and welcome to another episode of Journeys and this time around my special guest is Chris Lynch. Chris, how are you? Really well, thanks and thanks so much for having me on. No problem, thank you for taking time out your your day to, to come on and, and tell myself oh, and my the pleasure. listeners your story. So, how how you been? Status? How has um, 2021 treated you so far? Yeah, do you know, I'm really, really good. I have to say that despite lockdown and everything, things have been really, really positive over the last year. Um, I know, you know people are obviously having a really tough time with lockdown and mental health and everything. And uh, you know, I've just had so many positive things, I guess, over the last year happened that have put me on a really good course. I'm in just a really good place mentally. Uh, so yeah, no, things have been good. So what, what about you? Uh, yeah, I'd say the similar thing. I mean, it's been, it's, it's one, it's, I think it's, for me, it's been one of those ones where it's like one week could have a really good and, you know, productive and positive week. The next, it'll be like, <laughs> this, is, like this is basically complete opposite, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. So very much a, a year of up and downs, I'd say. Yeah. But yeah. So something I'd ask a lot of people, do, do, do you, do you work from home or anything like that? Or, and if you do, have you managed to get the balance right of working slash turning yeah, off? Yeah, I have. I mean, work with my production company, Brand Enable, things really took a dive last year because the fact that, you know, with lockdown, everyone was pulling back on their video activities. So mm. Brand, Brand Enable is like corporate video uh, drone live streaming, you know, live streaming for events and different things. So all, all that work was totally shelved. And then as we started to progress through the year last year into the summer months when, you know, measures were starting to ease, the work that I was getting through, I had to turn down, you know, I couldn't really take on anything because I was shielding and it was just too high risk. So I've really been out of work for the last year, but things have, have now changed with a new role that I've just taken on with uh, Social Enterprise that, that I launched in the last couple of months. So yeah, no, things are good and working from home and everything has been great. I mean, it, it's, and I've been, I've been happy to, you know, something, I mean, all the home comforts around me, I, I uh, DJ and I've got my, my decks, my music and okay. the Sky TV and everything. So I've had all the home comforts around me and I, I honestly, I, I, I feel lucky that I've been comfortable and I've got enough to keep me occupied, so they're all, all good. Mm. I like, I like the, the sound of the, the decks. Are you, are, you, are you making music or are you like mixing stuff? And... Do you know, I haven't turned my hand to making music, but just mixing. I've done that from, you know, I was about 17 or so, and then I had Nabifa DJing for a couple of years and uh, around, all, all around a lot of the clubs in, in Northern Ireland. And yeah, oh, yeah. I, absolutely love it you know so it's, it's a great distraction it just keeps you uh, really i mean music you, you know this yourself music can do so much to lift your mood and it's uh, just a fantastic thing to have so if no matter if you're you know playing an instrument or just listening to music or playing you know djing or whatever i think it's just a great escape definitely yeah i'd agree then what's your you go to music when you're mixing you've got a specific Oh, it's got to be house, you know, house, <laughs> more sort of, yeah. And, and, you know, really now over the last couple of years, moving into like deep house and tech house, but, you know, house and, and I love my club, club classics, I'm old school, never, never can shy away from it. 
Yeah, um, I've I've become a house fanatic over the past eighteen nice. months, two years. Yeah, and uh, yeah. I, I, I laid the blame fully at my mum's feet because she was a fan. She's a fan of it. She was. I was like, that's rubbish. Just just repetitive. And then she she she, uh, she introduced me to it. Uh, actually, the experience of going on the night, I was like, "Whoa!" Yeah. And now, <laughs> now I think I'm like more obsessed with it than she is. <laughs> so, Fair play. Fair enough. So, just wondered. But yeah, it's like it's going back to you saying it. It does definitely lift the spirits. Whatever, no matter what kind of music it is, and I think you go through days, don't you, where you're feeling different kind of music and each of those genres lift your moods in in different ways. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah, for sure. And what my my musical journey with with DJing really started with trance. So it it was very sort of euphoric, uplifting sort of stuff, and then moved mm. in and and it's like anyone, you know, you guys your your musical tastes mature with age. So you sort of go through that sort of roller coaster of different genres, and yeah, it's, it's a bit of a journey. But lots uh, of uh, lots of rabbit holes you fall down, don't you? Yeah, you can do. You can get drawn into things, and and definitely when you're younger, you sort of tend to explore and experiment with different genres because your peers are interested in them. But but mm. I guess you quickly find out what you you like and you don't like, and and you sort of you know you really do come back to the thing that you're really passionate about the most and the, the type of music that really you know you engage with and and you love, rather than just following it for the sake of fitting in with a, a click. Yeah, definitely. So, with all my guests, I pretty much like to go right back to the beginning, whether that's from birth or wherever, at what point your disability came into place. So, the stage is yours. Okay, so, I was uh, was actually adopted, and uh, I was diagnosed within a couple of months having osteogenesis imperfecta. So osteogenesis, it's a bit of a mouthful, is commonly known as brittle bone disease. Uh, It's a soft tissue connective disorder that is to do with collagen production in the cells. So it's a soft tissue connective disorder. And, uh, you know, my mum was changing me and, you know, next thing started screaming the house down, crying, wouldn't stop crying turned out that I'd broken my leg and uh, one of she called one of her friends who was a doctor and she suggested that I go to the hospital and I was taken to the hospital I was x-rayed and it you know, turned out that it, it fractured my femur and unfortunately back then and, and this is this is very very common for a lot of new parents with you know an undiagnosed child with osteogenesis that there was actually a red flag put on my file because any baby or toddler that comes in that has a fracture, you know, there's an automatic question mark as to, you know, potential child abuse or something along those lines. So that's, that's a terrible thing for any parent to have to face. Uh, so fortunately the, the diagnosis was made really quickly and that was, that was sorted out. But, you know, I, uh, I went through childhood early childhood having a lot of fractures. I mean, I've, I've had over a hundred broken bones now and I was really st- in a wheelchair from as early as about three. 
using it full time. So anytime, you know, when I was a kid, when you break your leg, like anyone, you know, you've maybe got a, a bit, bit of time off your feet. So if you break your femur, for instance, you have to go into traction. If you break your tibia, which is your shin bone, it's, it's you know, normally a, a plaster cast for six to eight weeks. But if you're in traction, you're in hospital, you're lying in beds, your muscles are wasting. So you've got to have a, a period of intense physiotherapy to build those muscles back up to get you back on your feet again. And it, it really became a bit of a, a cycle of fractures when I was six, then that led me to use the wheelchair full time because the, the amount of breaks that I was having really, I mean, the, the rehab couldn't keep up with the, the amount of fractures that I was having. So it was ultimately safer for me to use the, the wheelchair apart from anything else, apart from the fact that it just became so, so difficult to actually walk. So, you know, childhood for me was in and out of hospital, years spent in hospital. Uh, fortunately enough, I went to mainstream primary school and had a great time, you know, had a really supportive group of friends. And, uh, you know, that was thanks to my parents who pushed for me to get, get into mainstream education. And then I went to Methody uh, Grammar School in, in Belfast. And I have to say, like, things really did change because not only does your sort of social standing with your group of friends change, everything changes because, you know, you, everyone is developing their personalities and those sort of characteristics and different things are evolving and changing. So I had a lot of, you know, a lot of years in, in school that I experienced bullying and, uh, you know, things, you know, it, it was pretty tough, I have to say, but, you know, I, th I think everyone's got a, a pretty similar story if, if they've experienced, you know, and if they've got a disability of some shape or form, it, it's not uncommon, let's just say. But, um, yeah, it, it's um, it's a funny one. Like, childhood for me, uh, you know, unlike someone who has had a disability such as a, you know, a spinal injury where they've grown up all their life and then all of a sudden their world has been completely changed. They're now in a wheelchair permanently. I grew up with this. So it was something that I was accustomed to, you know, being in and out of hospital and having these fractures. And although, you know, we experience the same thing, you know, me experiencing a broken leg is the same for anyone else. You know, just because I have lots of them doesn't mean that the pain is any less. But, you know, the, the fact that it was happening on a regular basis, you do get accustomed to the routine of being in and out of hospital and you know the isolation and everything else. So it, it's uh, I still find it sort of difficult to talk to uh, talk talk about because I I've just known that as my life. You know, we're obviously we're talking and and we're talking for a reason because you know we're talking about disability and one of the things I talk about of you know various different whether they're podcasts or interviews that I've done recently following the uh, BBC documentary that I made. I, uh, you know, I've, I've got sort of a thing, a hang up about acceptance that I still to this day sort of haven't grasped the fact that, you know, I'm living with a disability and I haven't fully accepted that 
because of that reason, because I've sort of grown up with it. And there's good points and bad points to that where, you know, in, in my younger years, I didn't acknowledge the fact that I was disabled. But then as time went on, when I had like friends that were settling down with kids and getting married and stuff, that's when I had this massive sort of paradigm shift in terms of my whole sort of psyche that started experiencing depression. And, you know, I, I had, you know, I was putting a spotlight on to myself and my own situation because I had a massive distraction up until then, whether it was, you know, various different pursuits I had or going off on holidays with friends and things like that. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're sort of left thinking about your disability and um, what that means. But yeah, so that's in a nutshell, like childhood was, again, I used the term a roller coaster and, and it sort of certainly was, you know, younger years, really happy despite being in and out of hospital, primary school, especially, I mean, my parents were so supportive and my family, uh, my sister, uh, and, uh, a lot to be thankful for, you know, in terms of my upbringing and, and the opportunities that I've had. But uh, yeah, you just, you just sort of like anyone, you know, you deal with the, the cards you've been dealt and you sort of make the best of, of your situation, you know. Definitely. And would you say that, if you're saying you were constantly in and out of hospital, would you, did that ever affect your uh, educational side of school? And did you ever feel like you, you reached your potential with that? It, it did. And there's a couple of things that, so I was in hospital in P7 during my 11 plus, so I couldn't sit the 11 plus and I had to have an educational psychologist assess me uh, in terms of just my, my um, capacity to, to get into secondary education. So, you know, I, I scored highly in an IQ test and various different things that they did and was given a place at, at Methodist College, which is one of the most pre prestigious uh, grammar schools in Belfast. And, uh, you know, that, that was a great opportunity again to be able to, to get into and stand in mainstream education. In terms of going on to university, I, uh, yeah, I had a big problem and I'll tell you what it was. G given the fact that I had so much going on during my childhood. My education was wrecked because of the fact that I was able to drive at the age of 16. And not a lot, a lot of people know this, but if you've got a disability that really impacts on your mobility, you can get a license a year early. So it's not 17, it's 16. So I was able to drive at 16 years old. And the, the car, getting a car in the mobility scheme at that age was the ruination of my education because I was just like, brilliant, happy days. I've got my freedom. This is it. Let me out. Yeah. Let me see the world and let me get out there and experience yeah. things. And, and that was my moment that I was able to break free. And it was so liberating, but it, it really was to the demise of my education. I didn't uh, follow on to university. You know, I, um, the, the, the car was my lifeline basically and it allowed me to make new friends and uh and i did i did try to go to tech but you know again it was because the fact that i i had this opportunity to 
explore and get out there if it's I just didn't want to know so that was ultimately the end of my education was it your plan to go to university was that kind of idea in your head going through GCSEs and what have you yeah absolutely you know I think uh probably my, my father would have wanted me to follow his footsteps into the law but mm. it wasn't you know I was a creative and I, I didn't certainly wouldn't have, have gone down, down that road anyway but maybe something else in terms of music uh, music was a big part of my life through methoding uh so, so I, was that your like, go-to subject in, in it was school? yeah so I, I ended up leaving Methody. I did, I did one year of A-levels and I left in uh, the first, actually the first day of Upper Sixth. And uh, music was just such a, a great escape for me. And I was really fortunate. I was trained, I was classically trained by uh, James Galway's mentor. So I played the flute and uh, a guy called Billy Dunwoody, who passed away actually when I was in Methody, but he was... He taught James Galway and it opened so many doors for me in terms of being able to go on master classes with James Galway. And I attended a place with the Irish National Youth Orchestra and really toured within Ireland for them with them for two years. Really heavily involved in all, all sorts of music activities in the in school. Methody, I have to say, that was the one thing to give Methody credit for. They had a fantastic music department. Um, which really was leagues above many other schools. And it, it was my big escape for sure. You know, it, it led me on to other interests in terms of radio and, and uh, radio work. I, uh, that, that's really where my DJing sort of spawned from. Uh, one of our, our neighbours was Ivan Martin and he brought me in for work experience, I remember when I was, uh, I think, 14 or 15 into Kill FM in downtown one morning. And uh, I then started reviewing video games on uh, 96.7 BCR, which is now Q Radio, with uh, Lisa Flavelle. And then started working on some hospital radio stations and RSLs, which are restricted service license stations. But uh, yeah, so radio really interested me back then, and that 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 before I actually started mixing and doing some some proper DJing, as it is. But yeah, I mean the the, the music has always been that sort of um, go to for me. Really even to this, even to this day, where kind of whether you've got obviously other things at the forefront, music is still your like you were saying earlier, it's still your escape and absolutely, yeah, yeah, to kind of turn off and just enjoy yourself and not have any yeah. pressure that you have to get something done in time or have to, have to be to high standards, whatever you make totally. it. Yeah. I think we all need that. You know, we all need to find something that, that we're passionate about because, you know, over the years, and it's one thing that I'm, I'm very open about in terms of, you know, experiencing and, and having depression that, you know, it, it's really great to have that and that, that sort of go to, and as long as you can sort of stick with it and, and understand how beneficial it is. I mean, the, I, I think one of the things that, uh, you know, well, I, as you know, 
I did the uh, disability paradox with the BBC there last year, and mm. one of the big takeaways I I mentioned from shooting that was distractions, and it's about filling your life with all these little sort of distractions rather than having something you're just maybe throwing all your time into, but having a number of little things that bring happiness into your life. Mm. And whether that's whether that's music or whether that's cooking or food or, you know, a relationship or a career, you know, I think all, all these little things can really go a long way to making you happy. So I, I definitely think, you know, that, that music has been a, a really a saving grace for me over the years. Mm. I mean, you said it, obviously, like you're saying, uh, you, you can have like those kind of throwaway things. You say, oh, I'm just going to sit and watch TV. Like that's like, but you're just doing it because that's the only thing to do. But to have something that you can go to yeah. and turn off and you actually, you know, you're passionate about it and you actually enjoy yeah. it. Sure. It gives you that different kind of, feeling Absolutely. that you know it's worth it yeah yeah so you said you you dropped out of your a-levels after a year yeah what did you have was that like kind of like a like a just a gonna drop out and then see what comes to my way or did you have an idea of what you was going to do once you did drop out well i i guess from around that time and the bullying I was experiencing in school, I sort of had enough. And, and having the car as well, it was really the, the thing that pushed me over the edge in terms of making the break for it. And, and I sort of thought to myself, well, look, I could have a better time in school, or sorry, in, in tech, and have the freedoms going to tech rather than being in school and having those sort of restrictions that I have at the moment and being in this sort of position where I'm having to face people that I don't want to speak to and see. So yeah, I mean, that, that, that was the sort of game plan for sure. But as time evolved and I started to experience more of the big bad world out there and, you know, enjoying those freedoms, then they really took over. And, uh, I, I went to Bayfit for the first time uh, with a, a group of friends in 1998. I just had the most amazing time. I mean, my first holiday away, complete freedom, experiencing the world and being able to go to clubs and the music and everything else. It, it was a bit of a, a pinnacle moment for me, as, as sad as it sounds, I mean, going to Bayfit and going on holiday, but it was, it was really <laughs> like, well, yeah, I mean, it, it's a, it was a holiday at the end of the day, but it was really a, a defining moment for me because, you know, here I am, someone who has been just so accustomed to being, having so many restrictions placed on me mm. and, you know, li living a lot of my life in isolation to be able to get out and experience something so liberating. So, yeah, started DJing. Uh, around that time and you know the following year I came back to Ibiza now my, my cousin um all credit to him I have to say he was editor of FHM magazine back then and friends with uh the owners of Manumission one of the biggest most notorious uh clubs in Ibiza and mm. I got a 
I got a DJing gig in Bar M, which was one of their pre-club bars in San Antonio. And uh, it was just amazing. I uh, was invited back then following years and got playing for Judge Jules, John Kelly, Gatecrasher, God's Kitchen, got playing in Eden, which is one of the big super clubs there, Kanya, mm-hmm. uh, which is a, another beach bar. And I honestly just had the most amazing time. So I did that sort of for four summers, four consecutive summers coming back um, DJing out there. And it was just, it was fantastic. After that came back um, 2003 then, wanted to get into DJing back in Belfast, but it was very clicky. You really had to be in the know. So I thought of a way that I could get into the, you know, through the background side, through the back end of the mm-hmm. industry by looking at the marketing and events side. So I set up a company called Club Life, launched it in 2003. And we did marketing and events for the licensed trade, for the pub trades. We were were very fortunate that we netted Pepsi as our first client. So we were doing all sorts of things from bringing DJs into the country. We actually uh, took over the Northern Ireland Dance Music Awards. And in 2006, we held a red carpet event with Faithless, um, filled the Grand Ballroom, the Europa Hotel, with all the sort of key people within the dance music scene in Northern Ireland and had an amazing event. And that continued for three years, finishing up in St. George's Market with a number of different international artists and DJs playing. And yeah, club club life really grew from strength to strength. We we actually launched a website that uh, was the biggest in Northern Ireland, hosting all the listings for the bars and clubs across the province. And uh, you know, we sort of grew in strength having, you know, 22 promotional staff on our books that were doing field promotions for a lot of bars and clubs. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was it was fantastic. And, and for, you know, unfortunately, the DJing, my, my intention out of that was to use that as, a, as leverage to get into the industry to, to DJ myself. But it was really, springboard. Yeah. So it, it that never happened. Club life really took over and, you know, it, it um it, it sort of carried off from there but no regrets i have to say it, it with that um i did have a bit of a spanner in the works then towards towards sort of 2007 then when i took on a business partner defrauded the company and uh, really was introduced to the nasty side of of business and people i guess you know that that you really um I, I was very trusting, took on a business partner that I, I really didn't see this coming. But uh, look, I mean, I guess with all to anyone who's been in business has has some sort of story about the sort of um, the woes that they've experienced along the way. It's, it's never plain sailing, no matter what you do. But um, so, yeah, look, um, I mean, that, so that was club life and my sort of my my life in the business world has always involved some sort of self-employment because of my health you know it's always had to um pivot around something that that i can work around whatever comes around the corner because i do get you know unfortunately really bad bouts of chronic fatigue that can take hold at any time so holding down a full-time job just isn't um practical it's not a it's not something that i can really accomplish or uh, undertake 
just purely because it, I, I never know what, what could be from one day to the next happening. So it's great being able to work from home or, you know, being able to take a couple of days off if I need to. Um, it, 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 it's been really a saving grace for me and, um, you know, having that freedom as well. Just to, to go back to, I can 110% relate to you going to Ibiza and that being kind yeah. of the the opening because that is literally to the dot. I was saying earlier about how I, I got into it 18 months, two years ago. Yeah, That was that was the place where I went. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, 20, summer 2019. And yeah, yeah, first first ever night out that was. And I could, all the stuff you said, all the feelings that you said you had and yeah. the, the realisation that it gave you. I can yeah. completely just, yeah. just you know, re- you know, echo all of it because it's, yeah. and it, if I think it's one of those things like some people, someone, someone to look at you and think, night out, nah, you, what do you want about us? It's just, just a night out. People getting drunk and drugs <laughs> and whatever. But I don't think people realize, especially if you're like you said, you're not used to that, that freedom, that kind of yep. lib- liberation. Yeah, uh, it, 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 it makes you, you know put all the alcohol and whatever to one side, just being in that environment is something, you know, music, people having a good time on most part. I think it's, it's getting out of your comfort zone and, you know, realizing that there's life beyond your bubble, you know, and, and what you've been so accustomed to. And yeah, I mean, that liberating is definitely the best, best word to describe it. Uh, you know, the atmosphere uh, and just being in a place of, of really like-minded people. And it's just, yeah. Yeah, the only, only thing with going to Ibiza for like kind of your yeah, opening kind of holiday is you come back home, you're like, oh, <laughs> no, no way is as good as this. <laughs> <laughs> I remember just, actually, yeah, I mean, I, I tell you, it was emotional come back and I remember actually clear as day, the first time coming back from a Ibiza, I was on a bus heading to the airport, coming back from a, a San Antonio to Ibiza airport on the way home. And I remember back now, in Ibiza back then, they had disco buses. So they had these buses which were loaded with sound system, pumping tunes. <laughs> and I remember Binary Finery 1998, Trans Tune. If you've never heard it, check it out. That was playing in the bus on the way home. And it was actually quite an emotional moment, you know. I was sort of mm. felt myself well enough going, I don't want to go home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, can, I, can, I was, I went to High, High Beef. I don't know what it's called. Yep. Was it, yep. was it, was it, was it, was it space back then? It was space. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I can, I can relate to you. you kind of, you come out, you, you like, you look behind you and think, was that, was that, was that like, was that another world or? <laughs> so, I yeah, it's it's, it's it's it's. I don't know what the right word is. Quite overwhelming, but in a yeah, in a in a positive way. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, for sure. So you said obviously your your first company being club life and that being some in in being in an industry that you, know, you enjoyed and you enjoyed the the nature of the work and and then obviously your unfortunate experience that the bit of turbulence halfway through. I suppose that kind of although it's obviously no 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 one wants to have that happen to them in any walk of life whether it's a business you set up or whatever but you say that kind of you know learnt you 
taught you a lesson and thought, I can you know, early on, this is what yeah, you need to look out yeah. for. You need to be a bit more vigilant. It was it was pretty harrowing the whole experience. You know, I had the police involved. I'd you know, civil proceedings. The guy fled to Barcelona um, to avoid prosecution, and so oh, it was just it was a nightmare. But honestly, after the dust settled, there's so many positives that it took away from it. It mm. definitely uh, helped me ground myself and be able to see clearly about everything in terms of decision making about you know who to i mean obviously the the key thing in terms of doing your due diligence about people before you really you know get into bed with them as such you know in the, in the business sense so yeah it, it's um yeah but i think that's like like any of us you know we we you know no matter what sort of bad experience we have in life you know once we're able to get through the the trauma of that initial uh and the stress of whatever that that sort of initial part is you know mm. we do that's sort of human nature that we're able to to sort of glean the positives from those situations definitely yeah and being in that environment yeah for the number of years obviously when you was actually going out and then uh doing things for club life did was there did you notice much of a an attitude towards you after being disabled did you, did you realize anyone treated you differently or was you, was it quite looking in that regard no never and i i have to say it was always really positive stuff now you, you you'd get i remember going in like clubs when i was younger and i'd get all the all the standard stuff oh mate so good to see you out respect respect yeah. and, and then oh, and and then the other one was oh so here mate my my father's uncle's daughter's nephew's dog is in a wheelchair i can <laughs> yeah. I, I can completely relate i can completely relate yeah. respect <laughs> cool mate cool yeah dead on <laughs> so it, yeah like i mean honestly back then nothing but really positive things to say from as early on as when i was i think i was about 16 going into lavery's pub in belfast and the doorman, okay, didn't want to ask me for my ID. They were more concerned in opening the door for me. Happy days. <laughs> so yeah, no, all good, all good. Because I think it's, I think it is one of those environments that people, most, you know, ninety nine percent of people don't care. Not in like they don't care about you. Or like they, they don't see the wheelchair. They don't see. I don't know you're hearing age or if they know you're blind they don't yeah that isn't for us what comes to mind it's you're there for the same reason as them and if you're I there think, then that says that person well yeah you know he's got you <laughs> so i mean i, I think there, there's sort of things that you, you really do block out at, at the moment i see especially on social media all this talk about ableism and a lot of people are very in tune with their emotions at the moment there are a lot of things that I think you block out that you take for granted, you know, people staring, for instance, you know, mm. and, and kids staring in particular, you know, and I think that's in terms of children, without a doubt, I think there, there needs to be a bit more education done as to, you know, children's understanding of people with disabilities, 
and and that it is you know a common thing in society it's you know one in five of us have a disability and you know i think the thing which i find you know adults adults staring and things like that yeah I'm, i'm fine with but it's it's just a bit i think it's still a bit sort of off putting when and a bit uncomfortable, I guess, when you have little kids staring and pointing and it's like, mommy, what's that? What, what's that? You know, that's, it's yeah. not, you know, uh, and like, it, it is what it is, you know, that's, that's, that's just, you know, a lack of, of education. And that's, that's what it boils down to. But I think definitely there, there, there are lots of opportunities for, you know that to be introduced as as young as primary education um but like you know like anyone with a disability you know you've you know there, there's so many stories like this that people can tell and um you just sort of get on with it i was speaking to someone last week who uh is or was a teacher and is still a teacher but remotely and they are disabled themselves okay and they were saying how it's I think, you know, and you probably agree with this, just have the, you can educate adults, you know, blah, blah, blah. But if you want to save that, the best thing to do is educate from as early age as possible because then they will yeah. carry that through their years of when they, you know, when they're going through puberty, you know, beyond yeah. and just save so much hassle later on in life that, you know, you, you need to give these and it's just like you said it's, it's basically things like knowing what a wheelchair is and knowing what it does knowing what a white cane is and what it does and, yeah. and what have you it's just those simple symbols that just a simple understanding can totally. make a massive difference without a doubt so going from your club life uh adventure if yeah. you want to call it that was how long did that last and when did that hmm. kind of Yes. No, when did you decide to part ways with that? So that really was wrapped up in 2007 after I had, you know, gone through that sort of the dealings with that business partner. Um, but it was sort of timely because coming into that economic downturn, a lot of businesses in the, the hospitality industry were really clawing back on their marketing activities. They were um, doing a lot of stuff in-house. So... I diversified at that stage and um, set up Digital Life, which was more focused on sort of B2B marketing and, you know, was in that sort of advertising space for quite a number of years, actually. And um, I started working with a really great guy um, who ran an ad agency in Belfast. We got together, set up our own, I mean, we we sort of evolved that agency and, we worked together a number of campaigns for for years, actually, um, and we we did okay. I mean, nothing nothing hugely successful, but um, we held our own for a number of years, and um, we got involved in a number of really interesting sort of projects and uh, campaigns with clients. You know, companies like Phonacab, and um, you know, with some some pretty credible um, clients in our books, but. Um, that's for, for me, I wanted to sort of get back into hospitality. So I, I then, um, sort of parted company and, uh, went back into the hospitality industry, firstly, working as a, a GM general manager and doing some consultancy work, um, at a coffee shop in Hillsborough, for instance, set, set that up a number of years ago and 
was helping launch a number of other restaurants and bars and hotels and then ended up launching my own restaurants a couple of years ago. Uh, a brand that I developed street food restaurant called Roasted and Toasted. Okay. And unfortunately, we didn't get the location right. Um, we, we launched on Botanic Avenue in, in uh, City Centre Belfast, but it was it was just riddled with problems. We were sort of heading towards our, our break-even point after the third month, but students left and uh, in June, and that really put us in the back foot. Uh, it, it just Botanic Avenue is a great place for evening trade, but it turned out that for daytime business, it was very, very weak. And despite everything that we're doing in terms of making all our stuff from scratch, I mean, we, we were very adamant about that in terms of quality of the food that we're putting out within cutting corners. Um, mm. We're making all our own sauces and IOLs. Um, sort of staples we're doing were like gourmet grilled sandwiches, um, sort of grilled cheese sandwiches and things like that in various different variations, freshly made donuts, and then brought a, a French chef in for a while who helped us, a great guy called Jean-Luc, who's a, a friend of mine. And uh, we did things like slow cooked beef cheeks and various different street foods like cassoulets and um, for an evening menu. But it was just sort of, it, it was very, very difficult to try and make it work. So I had an opportunity to um, sell the units uh, at the end of that, that sort of financial year. And I was able to get out of it before I got into any serious debt. So it was it was short lived, but it was really worthwhile doing, and um, I'm I'm glad I did it. And I, I think no doubt um, for the experience that I had, who knows I might get back into it in the future. Now is obviously not the time to be in hospitality, but um, you know who knows what the, the future holds. But it was you know, it was great. Really, really enjoyed it, and that that whole you know the whole process of setting it up and shop fitting and going through the whole wheels in motion of, of the branding and you name it. I mean, I just love all that stuff. Um, the, the marketing side in particular um, really um, floats my boat. But uh, yeah, so I've, I've had a quite a varied career, you know, in, in business over the last number of years. Um, and more recently, I've, um, I've now gone into, um, you know, from, from Brand Enable that I touched on, um, which is a film production company that uh, was involved in, in sort of the corporate side of things. Mm-hmm. I've, I've more recently um, set up a social enterprise, a charity based on on um, work around the disabled community, which is still in film production. So it's, it's producing uh, video content about uh, disability issues. So One in Five has actually been founded, co-founded with two other directors of um, Triple Vision, another film production company in Belfast that I shot the Disability Paradox with. And uh, one in five really is, is it could be anything from shooting content. It could be an interview with yourself. It could be an interview with a, a Paralympian. We could be, you know, doing some tech reviews about smart tech for, you know, if you've got a disability, whether that's, you know, a visual impairment or a physical disability for instance we could be um reviewing you know top five luxury cars in the motorability scheme we could be looking at student life in queen's university or um you know looking at even a, a profile of of a local business um and, and showing how maybe accommodating they are and welcome they are they are in terms of 
um, wanting to take on someone with disability and, and looking at access in the workplace. So it's a very multifaceted um, type of organization, but it's ultimately about serving uh, content for the disabled community. And that, that will take um, many different forms. And, and we are actively looking for disabled contributors. So I'd, I'd certainly um, encourage you if you're interested in, in working with us and doing something um i'd love to love to do something with you jamie because um you know it, it's really about covering all the bases with disability and all all forms so um we, we really are trying to reach out and promote inclusivity with the work yeah. that we're doing um awareness and really help support individuals with disabilities from the the content that we're we're serving so it's it's it's, it's really great i mean I, I really love this this sort of new role that i've thrown myself into um because of my work in tv and film over the last number of years obviously it's highly relevant it's not it's not a massive career shift for me it's more of a pivot but it, it just has a, a focus on disability which is obviously something i'm acutely experiencing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like yourself so yeah it, yeah it just it just sounds like it's it's similar obviously there's it's people that there's podcasts there's video platform youtube channels out there but i think it's i think the one thing that i think the disability community suffers with the most is it can become quite tribal mm-hmm. and like just like me against you almost yeah where i think the yeah. best way to spread information and educate people as if yeah. we come together do you know i have to say you're you're absolutely right because i i th- i think there are a lot of people within the disability community that are very extremist and they're not doing us any favors uh i i had one guy in particular that started trolling me after i shot the disability paradox and it was aired in bbc and he was complaining because the fact that I used the word disabled in the documentary and the fact that I had, because I was just telling my story that it was all very negative and it was against what he was referring to as the social, some social model. And that's, that's basically that society should adapt for us and not, you know, and, and complaining the fact that I, I hadn't accepted my disability and all the rest. And it's just so, it's just so negative and there's just no need. I mean, that, that type of attitude really just creates divisions rather than promoting and trying to integrate us and, and bridge that gap and, and reach out and create and forge new relationships. It was really divisive and um, just doesn't do us any favors. So. I think that that's the thing that unfortunately that I'm, I'm really witnessing at the moment. I mean, that like, like I know ableism is a big topic at the moment, but I think, you know, again, it, there, there's a lot of very extremist viewpoints with it, that, that it can be quite damaging for the disabled community when it's used to such a, you know, I, I don't know if you, you know, if you, uh, would agree, but it's just that I think that there's definitely a middle ground mm-hmm. that, that we just have to tread carefully. I think yeah. we're, we're, we're without a doubt in a time where society has been more inclusive than any other. And there's so many really positive things that are happening in terms of, you know, whether it's access, whether it's employment, whether it's, you know, relationships and just people's mindsets about, you know, 
having a talk about disability, but I think at the same time, you know, I just think we we need to still tread carefully. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I completely. Doing this this podcast, I think I've come to uh, realize that as well. It's is, and that's kind of like yourself. I'm trying to fight against it. Like I'm always talking to uh, some of my friends who re- also recently started a podcast just around disabled disability and what have you. And I'm always trying to, you know, think of ways to integrate them, whether it's as simple as them inviting one of them on my podcast or doing some sort of collaboration. It's, it's that is the thing that you, the last thing we want you know, a non disabled person to see is disabled people within the same community fighting against or, you know, going yeah. to war with each other because yeah. they'll look at it yeah. and think, why should we, you know, help them out and work with them when they can't even work? with you know someone in their own community completely, completely. so yeah I, I do agree with you and people are like a lot of people do get caught up in that all these specific terms and the way you should you know approach someone and all these minor 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 details but as soon as one isn't followed correctly someone will completely lose their yep. shit totally. <laughs> much. yeah yeah and and I think with that there there is a a really ridiculous level of political correctness coming out of the woodwork, mm. uh, and and I'm just going to be upfront and and talk openly about this um, because I I really did experience it firsthand when I was um, working with the BBC there that believe it or not we were told by someone who looks after policy, uh, disability policy within the BBC, that they wanted to change a number of different things and how they were positioned in the documentary. And I'll tell you one of them in particular that was really a bugbear for me that I just said, I, I just you know, had to say, absolutely not. That is ridiculous, catch yourselves on. And it was this, okay, so Stafford and Jean, two great, great guys, two great contributors that we ha- had on. You know, Stafford's a good friend of mine. He had a motorbike accident a number of years ago. Jean had a horse riding accident. And so they both use wheelchairs, um, both spinal injuries. And I, when I was referring to Jean and introducing her as one of the contributors in the documentary, I said that Jean suffered a horse riding accident. And they came back and said, no, you can't use that. You can't say that Jean suffered a horse riding accident. We want you to say Jean experienced a horse riding accident. And I was just like, what are you absolutely <laughs> catch yeah. yourselves on, guys? That is the most ridiculous thing. So she can't have suffered. She didn't suffer at all. No, she experienced. She didn't suffer this horse riding accident. She didn't suffer it at all. You know, there was no yeah. suffering. She experienced it. You know, she didn't suffer that that is that is that's crossing. I, I don't I don't mind people that say if you're living with a disability, like someone has said to me, are oh, you suffering with sight loss or suffering with blindness? That yeah, okay, that. But you can't take someone's pain and so don't yeah. know, it is suffering. No one, I'm sure. I don't know if she said anything about it, but. No, well, this was this was just. I mean, so this was at the time when we were going over the voiceover. So she wasn't involved in this particular piece, but um, 
it was it was just it was my term you know and i think that's the thing you know if we're if we're referring to how we experience disability um but something that something like that i mean i no, i completely agree with what you're saying and that sort of ongoing thing about suffering sight loss and that that is completely different and i i get that mm. you know but but that that incidents where, where she's had obviously a very traumatic experience and uh, uh, one incident that changed her life that you know it's like me I, I I if I've broken my leg I've suffered a broken bone you know um or, or I suffered a fracture at the age of x y or z you know from talking about that particular event at that particular mm. time you know because you, you did that that was your experience you can't just say you experienced where there's like nothing you know all those emotions are uh, it, it's completely negated so yes um sorry i'm waffling on but you know you get yeah. you get the point you know oh. it, it's um it, so i that was one of my sort of frustrations about this because it, it, it just sort of tied in with a number of other things around that that uh, period that you mm-hmm. know I, I just saw this new wave of political correctness that was just so ridiculous and Not out of place yeah 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 i completely that is that is across the line it just isn't necessary and it's, it's it's trying to it's paper over in someone else's life experiences yeah to suit your own agenda to suit the image of your company that's yeah. That's pretty much what it is. It's not. It's not because yeah. you're concerned of that person or not the language you're using. It's because well, we can't use that because someone might write in and complain. It's like it's probably that all over, really. For sure, for sure. Um, but one thing I have noticed, obviously, saying you've gone from club life to digital to digital your life. restaurant, yeah. digital mm-hmm. life, and yeah. then your restaurant. Yeah. Have you always you seen that person who just wants to just just give? Some, anything a try and see where it goes if it doesn't work out then so be it well, you've, you've experienced it you know it, it does sound like it's it's yo-yoing but there was actually a fairly natural path there because you know club life was largely marketing based and the work that we're doing that that evolution from the sort of hospitality and working in, in marketing events to to the wider business b2b marketing was was a, a very organic type of um path to take um, and then going back into hospitality I mean if I was working in hospitality with club life so you know it was really going back but more in a traditional sense with restaurants and hotels mm. um, and pubs so they, they were all very very much linked you know there was this sort of theme of, of marketing and, and branding and events throughout that sort of whole time um, the, the only big change, I guess, was was into to film and TV. Then over the last number of years, um, hmm. so, I was going to ask you how how did that how did it come around to be going into to film and TV? But was there a moment that kind of changed your path, or was it the kind of a decision that you just wanted to take? Yeah, I, it it really came down to trying, you know, doing a lot of soul searching as to you know, when I. When I hit the wall with the restaurants, you know, I, I had a bit of a rough time with old mental health and um, I was trying to to work out, trying to look at the skills that had developed over the years throughout those businesses and look at something again that I could do within, within my means that I could physically manage to do. And 
I could I could take some experience from whether it was the advertising world or hospitality. And I was putting TV campaigns together within the, my time doing the sort of um, advertising work. I was involved in TV campaigns, doing some TV production, and um, it, it sort of made sense that, that, you know, video production was the next thing, you know, that it was creative. It was, you know, it, it was a really creative thing. And uh, I love tech, you know, I'm, I'm, I just love gadgets. And I think that sort of fueled it as well, you know, looking at, mm. at YouTubers and various different people that were making videos and, and that sort of creative process and producing a, a video and being involved in that whole start to finish sort of cycle and you know from from the shooting to the editing and it really just it, it um ticked all the boxes so got into that um did a few online courses and was um developing a relationship with triple vision you know working with them in various different projects i started doing some drone work and uh, became a commercial uh, drone pilot and uh yeah, and then got into, you know, when I when I set up Branded Able uh, production company, had developed a live streaming platform. So this was pretty unrivaled to anything else at that time that was out in the markets. We were able to live stream to multiple channels at once. So you could export that to, you know, YouTube and Vimeo, various different social media platforms and integrate motion graphics and um, various different things. So yeah, look, it was, it was, um, it just seemed to fit and uh you know i've i've really enjoyed the path that i've been on and you know a, a number of opportunities have come out of it you know i've been working as a drone pilot and bbc um productions utv and uh an independent film recently uh so yeah it, it's it's been great i really have loved it and it just seems a natural fit so no no regrets whatsoever obviously you mentioned your the disability paradox that you did with the BBC. How did how did that come around? Yeah. What was that like? So, after working with the guys at Triple Vision for a number of years, you know, with, with sort of number of different conversations about putting together a documentary on disability, and it it, it sort of evolved over the space of about twelve months. You know, various different conversations happening, having a look at at you know, my sort of background, what I experienced and something that really wasn't done because a lot of disability documentaries, they've, they've been a sort of pat on the back to someone that has a disability. And, you know, it, it's been very passionizing, often, often produced and presented by someone who hasn't a disability. And we, we really wanted to do something that was real, natural, and sorry, using that word organic, but, you know, to, to try and do something on that, that level, you know, something that was real and raw and, and gave you a, a proper insight into what living with a disability was like. So we, we, we looked at this sort of connection with mental health and depression and happiness. And, and that's ultimately what we, you know, in terms of research, we, we looked at this sort of thesis that was developed um, by two scientists 
that that uh, came up with this notion of the disability paradox that um that that really was the, the basis of the the film and we we've spoken to a number of really great contributors with various different disabilities we've had you know the scientific angle about happiness as well introduced to to really help help put meat on the bones of the whole thing and it, it came together. I mean, the feedback we've had has been fantastic. I think it, it really did resonate with so many people because the amount of messages that I've had from, you know, individuals and different organizations has been really overwhelming in a, a positive way. So I, th I think it definitely hit a nerve and um, set the stone for other things to, to follow because um, I think up until then, yeah, it, 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 um, you know that there there hadn't been really um that sort of insight <clears throat> and an in-depth you know really peeling off the bandage as such you know and letting people see inside uh, in terms of that that uh, that life that a lot of people won't have experienced if they, they haven't lived with the disability themselves personally or or known anyone living with disability what was was it bbc that came to you or was it you someone you pitch to the BBC? Yeah, we we pitched it in a commissioning round to BBC Northern Ireland and uh, we then had it picked up by BBC Network who took interest in it. Um, they were doing a, a series on disability. So it was aired in, across the, re the rest of the BBC as well, BBC Four and BBC Two. And uh, yeah, so um, although it was, it was originally commissioned as a True North, um, because of what we had done, um, it it, uh, it you know it, it picked up the interest across the water, which was great to see. Do you think that kind of validated the the video you've been doing in TV and film up until then? That you know, uh, you know, the BBC have have saw quality and value in an idea that you guys had come up with and wanted to not only just you know air it locally but you know to the entire the uk it's that think, that's your your baby almost i think i think like any of these things you always have a bit of a you know sort of erring on the side of caution with anyone that's taken on a project like that you know your sort of thoughts are you know are the bbc actually really looking to do something meaningful here around disability or are they simply ticking a box and i have to say it was the former i mean they, they really did take it on and um drive it i mean the the coverage that they gave up to the event and post pr and things like that i mean getting into a lot of local press um i was appointed someone in their press office to liaise with and you know we did a lot of interviews beforehand across a lot of the the local and national newspapers so you know that they, they they really were committed to um promoting it and highlighting the issues that were contained within it and um you know extremely supportive so i have to say cre credit to the bbc and um you know it, it it let me get a taste for something that i i really um felt could be a future for me in terms of uh, broadcast work I think that, that's a big thing thing is it it's one thing uh, i don't know a podcast or a radio show or a tv show being broadcasted about disability or whatever the topic yeah. is but then you have to 
it's not just putting it up there and going, there you go, that's it, next thing. Yeah. You've got to really create an atmosphere and a feeling around it that you want to watch or listen to this because this, this and this. And it's and it's, it's really putting that out there as well as the, the uh, you know, the broadcast itself. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So coming... On to the now, you said you've started the social enterprise. Yeah. And for that, what's, what do you have plans for that? And obviously you kind of touched on it earlier, but is, is there anything where you'd like to take it? And is there any goals that you have to take that particular venture? Yeah. So really want to be seen as a media outlet for both charities, organizations and individuals. Um, across the UK and Ireland, you know, really want to scale the organization up. We're starting from zero. So, I mean, we, we literally have no money in the bank at the moment. We, we netted our first clients with the Now Group that we're doing some work with at the moment, which have been great. They're, they're a really brilliant organization to work with. But uh, we're actively, you know, looking for seed funding at the moment and applying for grants. Um, we've secured office premises um, next to the guys Triple Vision at Conway Mill um, that we'll be operating out of. So we're, we're really starting from, from nothing, from zero. So it, we've got a long road ahead of us, you know, and it's, it's um, you know, it, it, it's not going to be easy, but I, I think there's an exciting opportunity. The feedback we've had from a number of different organizations has been extremely positive. I think there's absolutely a place. And like any charity that's starting out, you know, or any, any nonprofit, the, the big question that they're asked is, does your organization fill a gap for something that isn't in existence at the moment and for us it, it absolutely is the case you know there isn't any other uh organization such as one in five that um is doing what we're doing so really want to to you know um piggyback off that and um use that as our sort of ESP to, to grow and uh, to evolve over the next uh, 12 months. So, you know, it's exciting. It really is. And I think there's, um, you know, as, as we sort of develop our relationships, both with the business world, with the charitable sector and the disabled community, um, I think they're, they're exciting times on the horizon. And for yourself personally, do you have any goals that you'd personally like to reach over the next 12 months and beyond? travel i think like any of us you know i just want to get back out there and um experience more of the world any particular but, destinations uh, you know i'm 40 this year jimmy i want to go back <laughs> to ibiza <laughs> i was you know, yeah so i i think uh, either ibiza or, or vegas was really on the cards i, I oh. doubt that it'll, it, it'll happen but uh, we'll, we'll see but I really want to get back and just travel. This this new chair, wheelchair that I have is just amazing. And it, it has given me so much freedom. So mm. um, one of the things in the documentary that I talk about is, is getting this new uh, Segway wheelchair. So if anyone <clears throat> listening doesn't know about this, this is, it's called Anomio and it's developed in New Zealand. So like a Segway, a Segway has two, two wheels that you, you normally stand on and, and it, you know you balance and yeah. you can fly about the place so this wheelchair is based on that technology uh it has two wheels so there, there are legs that raise up and puts it into balance mode 
but it, it allows you, you know, you move using your core muscles. So, you know, you lean forward to move forward, you lean back to stop or to reverse. Okay. You, you lean from side to side uh, to move left or right. And it's amazing because it allows me to do so many more things. I mean, one of the big things during lockdown, I mean, my, my parents would have been over from time to time to help me dump rubbish out of my apartment because I can't, you know, in, in my normal sports chair, I can't like carry things and push my wheelchair at the same time. Okay. Mm. Sounds simple. But so that's the sort of thing that typically, you know, as a wheelchair user, I'd need a hand with every now and again, if there's something big and bulky that I can't take down yeah. um, stairs. But with, with the Omeo, it allows me to, you know, move hands-free. I can carry stuff. I can move about and do all those things, which has been brilliant, especially because of lockdown, because my parents have, you know, my dad's got diabetes, mom has COPD. So they've been shielding and I've been trying to keep them away. So it, it has allowed me to do that and keep them at arm's length, but still, you know, have a, a sense of independence that uh, I can still do these things and, you know, live independently. So... It, oh, it's amazing, you know, and it's an absolute flying machine. <laughs> it, <laughs> uh, it, it does 12 and a half miles an hour on paper, but, if, you know, it, it, it has been known to exceed that at times, let's just say. Um, it, it's it, it's class. It really is. And just so, very, yeah, go on. Uh, just a re- really simple things as well during lockdown, being able to go out to the shops, being able to go down the road and get a cup of coffee and come back and, you know, just get out and get some fresh air. So, and, and when you're in a manual wheelchair, the, the, the big thing that you're always really conscious of are little ruts in the pavements. Mm. Having brittle bone disease, you know, if if you're, if you come out of your chair, that is really going to be catastrophic. So yeah. I'm always having to scan the pavement and, and look out for ruts because the, the front casters of a wheelchair, you know, they're, they're really, really solid they're quite small. So if they can get caught in something, you've got a, a risk of being thrown out. So, mm-hmm. and, and as, as well, it's very time consuming. So you're not getting about anywhere very quickly if you're going over a very rough terrain. With the Segway, with the Omeo, you know, you've got the, the tires are like small motorbike tires. So, you know, you've got an extremely smooth ride and you can go for anything, go for cobblestones, which normally isn't possible in a normal wheelchair. I mean, it really isn't. You have to stay in the back wheels when you're in a normal um, wheelchair. So, you know, for, for that in itself, it's just incredible, you know, being able to go over rough terrain and and scoot about pretty much wherever you want. It, it's brilliant. So really very, very thankful um, to have that in my life. It's just been such a game changer. So it's a it's a wheelchair that very much relies on your your body strength and movement to navigate your way around and, that's and it. turn corners and what have you. Yep, that's it. Yeah, just yeah. sound pretty cool. <laughs> it is. It is super cool, um, and and it's it's just so agile as well. So it's amazing. And the one thing that I got recently there, I mean, it was I was stuck around my neighbourhood over the last year because I couldn't transport it anywhere. So I've just taken delivery of a van over the last couple of days, which has a lift at the back. So I'm now able to take it anywhere I go and, and be able to go, to go out and about more. So really, you know, just life is good at the moment. And it, it sounds like getting a van and having a, you know, a, a souped up wheelchair. I mean, to a lot of people that won't mean anything, but you know, you know yourself, I mean, there, there's so many things that, you know, if they can bring you just a little bit of happiness and extra freedom, they can be life-changing so um, um, yeah so i'm in a good place right now have you ever thought of trying to like i don't know maybe go into a supermarket late at night when it's a bit quiet and just 
just just speeding around the aisles, uh, doing tight corners and. and I don't. I, I I don't worry about having to have a clear space. I just do that anyway. I just you know, I I'm honestly down the Newton Arch Road in Belfast. I'll be fully lit. I mean, absolutely coming off coming off the pavement onto the roads and flying down the road as as fast as I can. And actually. What I always get is there's a safety feature with with the Segway. So if if it feels it's going too fast, it will actually pull you back. So that that movement of you actually leaning back to stop, it it will do it with the the motors and the gyros. It will actually pull you back as a safety feature to slow you down when it says, oh, here, my glad you're going too fast here. Sort (laughs) yourself out. (laughs) So I'm too excited. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, people looking at him and being like, is that a wheelchair or is that like a, a car? Big time, <laughs> big time. The looks that I get all the time. I mean, <laughs> honestly, it's it's crazy. It, it really is. Um, so, yeah, but it, it, it's cool. I mean, and, and the great thing about it is, though, that people are really inquisitive about it. They're, they're just what's that? That's amazing. Look at that. Mm. that. That just balances itself. And it's a real conversation starter. And, yeah. and, you know, it's funny, you know, going back to that sort of, you know, chat earlier about, you know, people feeling bothered and political correctness and all the rest. And I mean, they're, they're, I, I know, and again, like it's teach their own, I guess, but I know there are people with disabilities that would find that really objectionable, that that people would talk to them and, you know, I, I just think it's really, you know, that they're really inquisitive asking about their wheelchair and all the rest. I think it's really endearing. I think it's, I think it's great. Mm. I mean, anyone that, that is prepared to have a conversation with me and, um, you know, have a chat. Great. I'll have, I'll have crack with anyone, you know, so yeah. yeah. No I bother. Think, and I think a lot of people that I see, a lot of people saying is a lot of people don't like being asked questions. Like, what are you asking me for? Go Google it kind of thing. Yeah. But yeah. I've always been, I don't know about you, but I've always been in, in the camp that, if someone comes up to me or someone messages me on social media and asks me about my disability, yep. as long as they're not stupid questions, mm, yep. I'll answer Completely. them happily. Just because yep. you're, you know, really, you're, you're educating someone, you're giving someone knowledge that totally. when they come across someone else's in a wheelchair, someone else yep. is blind, they yep. would already know that stuff because yep. of you. That's it. That's it. And as long as it, that's it, if it's coming from a good place, then why not? You know, why wouldn't you engage with someone and just um, have a chat? But it's, yeah. Mm. It, it's and, been... and I suppose, although they're asking about your wheelchair or asking about someone's cane or hearing aids, they're realising, you know, a lot of people just think about tables or can they talk or something mad like that. So them having a conversation with you is realising, oh, you know, he's yeah. in quotation marks normal, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. And it no. just—I think it just opens doors that, really, I think a lot of people, a lot more disabled people, should be doing. I know, I know for sure. So, I think we've uh, covered most things. Unless there's anything else you uh, you want to touch on? No, absolutely great. It's been a real pleasure chatting, Jamie. That's been that's been a pleasure uh, having you on and, and talking to you about everything and the fact that you're you're a an IP for an house music fan. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to we'll have to continue that conversation after this for sure. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, if people um, want to find yourself or any of your work, where can where can you go? Yeah. So, um, 
like I said, we're, we're developing our, our channels at the moment, one in five. So the organization is called one in five. Uh, and if you are interested in becoming a, a contributor, if you have a disability, love to hear from you. Uh, my email address is chris at one, the, the numeral one in five, again, the numeral media.org. So that's chris at one in five media.org. Um, yeah, just just uh, look out for us because we're going to be we're, we're on Twitter at the moment, uh, one on five media, and uh, we'll be starting to to you know get a lot more active over the next couple of months. But as it is, I mean we're, we're you know we are in that sort of startup phase, so we're doing a lot of groundwork in the backgrounds um, before we do a, an official launch. But um, yeah, no, it's it's all good. So watch the space. Mm. And can people still find, people want to go find that documentary, can they still watch that? They can, yeah. So The Disability Paradox is on iPlayer, BBC iPlayer at the moment. And I uh, actually found it on YouTube the other day. Uh, one of our contributors, Dermot Devlin, has put it up. So uh, it's on YouTube as well. If you just uh, search for The Disability Paradox. Great. That's great. So, yeah, thank you for coming on. Um, Brilliant. Really enjoyed it. Thank you Bye. to everyone for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it just as much as I have done. And yeah, we'll catch you very soon.